Hey guys, how's everybody doing? So to start off, I'd like to ask a question. Why did you come this weekend? Go ahead and think about it. Why did you come this weekend? What brought you out this weekend? There's many other things you could have done. You could have went different places to do the, the sports activities that you'll do today. You could have went and hung out with different friends. You could have stayed at home. But what brought you here to a retreat, a men's retreat? Anybody? Go ahead, Russ. To have a renewed spirit in God today. Good. Go ahead. To grow. To grow. Good. Who else? Go ahead. I want to be a better person. I want to be a better person. Good. Who else? Where? I didn't see the hand. Oh, go ahead, Sandy. Honestly, I felt, I felt like I should. Why? Okay, good. Iron sharpens iron, and you get a little dull, sharpen a little. Good. Very good. Who else? I saw a hand go up in the back. You want to go ahead and share? Uh, to meet others, you know, godly men and examples, and, uh, you know, for fellowship, too. Good. And that goes with what Scott's saying, like iron sharpening iron, come together, right? Fellowship. Anyone else? This is a retreat. Um, this isn't a conference. The difference between a conference and a retreat is a conference, a lot of times you'll go and you'll get dumped a lot of information. They'll just fill you up with a, a lot of facts and a lot of knowledge, but this is going to be different. This is a time, a retreat is a time that you actually get away and you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So you'll grow with other men, and hopefully growing with other men, you'll sharpen one another, as was stated. You'll challenge one another. Hopefully you'll open up to someone inside this room and be transparent and let them know what's going on in your life, especially if there's growth that needs to happen. But really, it's about you and the Lord. So here's my hope. My hope is you don't remember the speaker. You don't remember who was singing the worship songs. But you remember the Lord. You don't hear that it's coming from me, a message, but instead you hear this is what God's word says. And this is God's word talking to me. This is God's word convicting me. This is God's word working inside of me. And I need to hear that. And I need to let all the walls go down. Do you get that? I need to drop all the walls. So as you're hearing scripture and scripture's read, or you hear challenges of what it means to be a godly man, whether it's in the home, or whether it's in the church, or, you're, or it's it, you're just a relationship with God, or it's outside of your home, whatever it may be, if you feel a little conviction that's coming on, do me a favor. Don't block it. Don't come up with an excuse. Don't come up with a reason. Don't start reasoning, reasoning away the conviction that you feel. Does that make sense? Because this is a time for you to grow in the Lord. This is a time for you to be replenished in the Lord. This is a time for the Lord to speak to you and you to listen and then you to respond to the Lord. And that's what I'm really praying that this weekend's all about. That's what I've been praying just wholeheartedly, that God, you would just do something, stir in our hearts, just fan into flame that passion that we have. Bring about just a revival in our own hearts so we can bring that back and then we can use that to revive other people, right? That we would be that light and the salt that we're called to be. So this is how it's going to work. In your books, if you look at page number nine, it's a little small. I have a hard time seeing the numbers on the bottom. So forgive me. I hope you can see them. The lighting's a little hard. But on page nine, this is going to be tonight's session, nine and ten. So the first section is man and God. It's about your relationship with God. Before each section... I'm going to bring someone up, and they're going to share with you. You can see on the top there to the left, it's going to be Ron Wilson. He's going to come up, and he's going to share with you why it's important to foster that relationship with God and why he meets with so many different men, and he's going to talk to you about that. So again, the Lord might convict you. might be, why am I not meeting with men? You know, I've met with Ron Wilson. Why am I not carrying that torch? Why am I not moving on with that? There's men that want to meet with you that are talking to you. Don't stop the conviction. Don't come up with a reason right away. Just let it just mull around in your mind a little bit and let it work. 
So he's going to come up. There's a place for you to make notes. Okay, so you're going to take notes when Ron talks. Hopefully, you'll have a lot of notes. And then on each of the sub points under there, when I come up and share, you can make little notes. What I'd like you to do is in the different areas, you can see there, most of these things are in questions, right? They're, they're stated in questions rather than just statements. And that's because, again, it's you reflecting. How am I doing in this area? How's my walk in this particular area? What I want you to do is if one of these areas stick out to you as an area that you need to work on, you're being convicted about, I want you to put a star next to it or a check next to it or a big circle around it because that's what you're going to talk about when you go back to your cabins tonight. That makes sense? So as the night goes on between these two pages, I want you to mark and make notes of the areas that the Lord is impressing on you. You need to grow in those areas. And then those are the very areas when you come together in your small groups that you're going to discuss together. All right? Ron, if you'd come up. Ron is a good friend of mine. I've known Ron for many, many years. Ron's discipled me through the years. He still does. Um, Ron brought me into a leadership role way back at Cornerstone Community Church in Simi Valley many years ago. Um, don't know what he saw in me, but he, he saw something that he'd bring me into that. And it's been a long road. It's been many years. I'd say probably 17 yeah, years. About, yeah, probably close. about 17 years that I've known this man. And if you know Ron, he's like an arrow, right? He just doesn't change. He's steadfast. He keeps going. He's got that focus that just keeps going forward. So I'm going to pray for the night, and then I'm going to ask him to share with you, men. Uh, so if you would, join me in a prayer. Father, thank you so much for Ron. Thank you for his ministry. Lord, thank you for his marriage and the example of his life, whether it was in the workplace or the fact that he meets with so many different men. He pours into men. He labors over that ministry, Lord, because he really has a heart for men. And more than that, he has a heart for Jesus. And that's what gives him that heart for men. I, I pray that you give him a calmness as he shares with us tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would open our ears to hear what he has to say. And again, that where conviction comes, that we would be open to that. Lord, where change needs to happen, we'd be open to that. That, Lord, we be men that want to hear from you and truly change. So, God, thank you for Ron. Thank you for the time he'll spend with us. May you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, guys. Give him a hand. I come to these, these things, and guys, I started my first men's retreat in 1978, and I've missed one since then. I stuffed my car in the back end of a Ford truck and, and broke a fracture of my sternum, and I didn't feel like riding that far in a vehicle. So men's retreat's a big deal to me. It's over the years, I've seen so many things impact, people impacted by, men impacted by that. And so... Just know that I feel very blessed to be here and be with you guys. I'm probably 20 years older than any of you. But guys, I still have that desire to please God with my life. And it gets easier sometimes and harder sometimes. And I'm, I'm going to share some of that tonight. Guys, I'm going to take you back a lot of years and to the time that I, when I accepted the Lord. And I'm not going to take you through every detail. That Steve said I could only have a couple hours. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I'm going to fast forward through a lot of it, but there's some stories I, I think that are worth hearing, and, and maybe some of you fathers and maybe some of you that are maybe grandfathers, um, maybe some of this will be helpful to you. I accepted the Lord when I was 11 years old, and it was a little, little church about the size of this building in a little town in southern Illinois. It was a, a fantastic morning, but the afternoon was better, guys. What, what Our routine was... We, you know, go to church, come home, and then in the afternoon, I'd go down to my grandparents' place and do the chores. Grandma and Grandpa were older, and I'd go and carry out the cold, ashes, whatever. And then Grandma generally had some cookies and, you know, milk and stuff. And then Grandpa and I'd go in the living room, and, and Grandpa would tell me stories. And he had this old Kentucky rifle, 41-inch barrel. He'd pick that up and said, I used to hunt wild turkeys with that. And, and But I, when I walked in the living room, I could tell Grandpa wasn't quite the same. He seemed pretty serious. And he said, Sonny, and he called me Sonny because I was so bright. No. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he said, Sonny, now that you've accepted the Lord and Jesus into your life, I want you to live your life so wherever you are or whatever you're doing, 
if Jesus walked through the door, it's still kind of tender, that you will be ashamed. And, and I'd think about that, and I, I just kind of took that, and, and I, guys, I can tell you over the following years, that was 66 years ago, he told me that. It still touches my heart because I could see his face. And um, through the next years, uh, at 19, I left home, I came to California, um, got married, went in the Army, went through some stuff. Uh, I was stationed in Ansbach, Germany. My wife was in Southern California. And I can tell you there's sometimes, guys, when I was picturing Jesus walking through the door and not going to that place. It's Friday night, it's payday. Guys say, hey, come on, Wilson, let's all go downtown. You know the part of town we were going to. And I said, no, I can't go. And they said, what's the matter? They said, we're all married. It doesn't matter you're married. And I said, no, I can't go. And because I know Jesus knows I'm there. Oh, okay. Some of the guys listen, but most, you know how it, it is at that time. And, and so, guys, it carried me through that time. I'd like to tell you that the next 30 years, I grew and I studied and I did all these things. That's not the case, guys. And, and I'll, I'll share with you why I don't want you to do that later. But for the next 30 years, I was pretty much flatlined. And, and then uh, Pat and I have been married 13 years, and we found out we're pregnant. We've been, you know, we just have been told that that was never going to happen to us. And so we're blown away. And so Kim is born, and, and we moved from Simi Valley, from Westchester to, to Saugus to Simi Valley, and, and we landed in Simi Valley. And now Kim is about four years old. I said, you know, hon, it's probably time for us to get back in church. And so we started looking around Simi Valley for a church. And we drove by this place, and, you know, I'm kind of a gearhead. And this place had a couple of buses. And I'm thinking, I bet they have a children's ministry going on at that place. So we went. It was a Baptist church. And, and I grew up in a Presbyterian church. And some of the Baptist churches where I grew up were a little off the edge. And so we said... We're going to sit way at the back, just in case these people get a little weird or something. <laughs> I don't know, it's terrible to say, but, but that was really where my heart was. And so we sat in the back row. Well, that turns out that's where the high schoolers sit. And we're thinking, oh, okay, nobody. And, you know, guys, I'm sitting there, and I see this young lady come in. She's significantly overweight, not really very attractive. She comes in with the other kids, and they say, oh, you had your hair done. looks so nice. I've said there's something else, something different going on in this group. These kids are encouraging this young lady, making her feel good. I said, I, said, I think maybe we found the place we need to be. So we go through all, on, and, and it was one of those things that, that uh, I've, had, I've been a Christian all those years. And, in, and I'm thinking, you know, the way we did it in the church I grew up in, now we get a letter of transfer, we transfer. And so I talked, I'd like to join your church. He said, well, Ronnie, we need you write out your testimony for both you, you know, you and Pat does, you know, so write out a testimony, I've never done that. He said, he said well, let me come out to your house. And so sit down and talk to me. And he said, well, I believe you're a Christian, Ron, but you've been calling yourself a Christian for 30 years. Isn't it about time? You start thinking about being one? I said, oh, wait a minute, you little whippers. Never, you know. <laughs> no, I, I didn't say. The, I said, you know, man, it hit me between like, it's like a, a two before between the eyes. And I'm saying, yeah, it is time. It's time to stop being a pretender. I guess it, John Wolf gave me a book, Not a Fan. Now, I was a fan. That's who I was. I, I loved having God in my life. I saw how he carried me through a lot of stuff that happened in the military and all that stuff. And I said, why didn't I go to Vietnam? Why did I go to Germany? You know, my company went to Vietnam. And so I'm really thinking that through. And I said, yeah, I want to do that. And he said, okay. So we joined the church. And, and any time the door was open, we were there. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever there's something going on. Well, time goes on a while, and then and the pastor comes to me and says, I want you to be a deacon in our church. And I said, okay, I, I can do that. What do I, I don't know anything. And he said, what I want you to read 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and tell me, is there anything in that that you have a concern about? So I did that. And uh, I said, well, you know, wait, uh, I'm a husband of one wife, and I don't drink much. Um, 
but there's some others that need some attention. And he said, I said, maybe we better put this on hold. He said, well, Ron, I, I really want you there. And he said, if you'll be willing to go through a process with me, we'll keep this going. And I said, okay. Process, way he took me through was measure of a man. The measure of a man, guys, is the attributes of an elder, or attributes of a godly man. So we went through that and a couple other books, and, and about a year later, uh, I'm so excited about what's going on in my life. I'm knowing who God is, knowing God is in me, and knowing that I can share that with other men, and, you know, it opened up a whole new life to me. I, of course, I'm still working full time in the business world, but I've been a couple of times a week with guys. And, and everybody talks about, well, you know, that's what a blessing, but a blessing for me, you know, I feel like I'm doing what God's called me to do. And that's, you know, really there's nothing but feels better. When you're on the right road with the Lord and you can feel it in your bones, guys, there's no blessing better than that. It doesn't matter what else you're doing. Because part of the reason for me coming to Simi Valley was I was transferred with my company and I was going to be there. They told me 12 to 18 months. I was on a management development program and said, Ron, don't, don't get too comfortable there because we want you to go from line to staff and that's the way we did the thing. I went to them in 79 said, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. Take me off that program. I'm staying here. I want my daughter to grow up in this church. I want my daughter to grow up in this school. I'm not going to do that. So that was a change of priority. And, and, and uh, guys, the next, the first 30 years I was wasted uh, and then my spiritual suck. And then I've had about another 30, 35 years of working with men and, uh, and just really enjoying the heck out of that. But guys, I'm also going to share with you, and some, maybe some of you are feeling that. About three years ago, I went through a valley. I was feeling like, you know, I, I did a reevaluation of my walk and say, what am I doing? What am I, why do I do it? Where is my heart really? I'm feeling kind of old and tired. I was having some health issues. That was part of it, guys. But it's also, I just felt like maybe it's time for Ron to recharge his batteries a little bit. And, and some of you know where I'm going when I say I went to the Old Testament. There's a special book there that I really like. You might, anybody going to guess it's Nehemiah? Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. But guys, the reason I do that is because that really fired me up another time when I was going through a really tough time. I went to Nehemiah and said, why did Nehemiah do what he did? Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king. Nehemiah had the best job in the business, in that the culture at that time. He was like a lieutenant governor. And he hears that his people are in trouble. The city of Jerusalem, the walls are down, and um, the people are in disarray. And he says, he cared so much that he fasted and prayed for 40 days. His heart was broken over what was going on with these people to the point he was willing to rescue his life to do something about that. He knew that going to the king, the king could say, you know, you don't want to work for me anymore? I'll get somebody else. You know, I don't, but he was willing to do it. So he, he fasted and prayed. The reason he did that, guys, he loved God. He loved these people. And he was willing to do, do whatever God called him to do. That's a guy that I need to, to emulate, guy that, that's willing to do that. Why do I mean? Because I love these guys, and I want them to have the, the joy of knowing the Lord like I do, having that, the depth, the feeling that really just turns you on. Guys, it's, it's worth every bit of time it takes. See, I, I get, I'll meet with you at 5.30, 6.30, whatever time you want to meet. So, you know, at 9 o'clock at night, i got to cut it off. I gotta, the, old man's gotta get some, <laughs> the old man's got to get some sleep. And then, guys, another thing that happened. About this time, this little book came out. And, you know, maybe, you know, it's, it's kind of like I've read somewhere Vince Lombardo said, guys, we got to get back to basics. This is a football. Well, to me, that was kind of what I saw when I opened up the table of contents and looked at it and said, what is a disciple? And if I asked you that question, just said, what is a disciple? What would be your response? I'm, I'm asking myself, okay, we think of disciples that Jesus mentored, 
spent all that time, spent three years with these guys, growing them in relationship with him, teaching them what to do. So a disciple is not only a follower, a disciple is an imitator of what God does, or Jesus did, okay? Webster said a disciple is one who believes in and helps disseminate the teaching of a master. So guys, I I was thinking about that, and I think of the, the vision statement or mission statement of our church, making disciples of Jesus Christ by sharing his truth and living his ways. That's what we're called to do. And say, because it says, you know, Jesus said to his disciples when he got when he was leaving, what did he say? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them all the commands that I've given you, and I will be with you. And I think about that and I say, guys, that's what I need to be doing. That's what you need to do. But the first thing we have to do is make sure our heart's right, right? So when we're back to the Nehemiah and his heart, his heart was he cared so much, it would be like a, a person in today's world getting on a horse and going from Los Angeles, Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's about 800 and some miles to how you travel. He was willing to do that because he loved those people that much. And then I asked myself, am I willing to walk across the street and talk to my neighbor? You know? Am I willing to get up at 6.30 because guys need to be at work? I get up at 6.30 and meet with these guys? Am I willing to do that? My goodness, you know. And so I said, yes, I am. I'm going to do it, Lord, and and get fired up again and and get excited about what I'm doing. And So I I, I didn't need a major overall idea, but I needed a tune-up pretty bad. And so now, you know, I'm ready. And I also believe sometimes the Lord gives us the things that we need. I feel a whole lot better than I did then. I have a lot more energy now than I did. And so that's what, what I wanted to share with you, that what, why I do what I do. is because Jesus said go. And he didn't say, Ron, until you're 65 or 75 or whatever. He just said go. The other one, you remember it says, that it works six days, you labor and do all your work when the seventh you will rest. He didn't say that until you were 65 either, or 75, or whatever. So I, um, that's kind of how it impacted my heart. And the other part I wanted to share, guys, it's the value of it. We, we always think in the business world, right, about cost-benefit. And I think about that and say, you know, I'm blessed beyond anything I can believe. I stand before you guys so blessed, I don't hardly understand. I bless way beyond what I deserve. My daughter's married to a godly man. He's an elder in his church. My kid, my grandkids are being raised by godly husband and wife. I grew up in a Christian home. My grandfather and mother were Christians. What a blessing that is. And, and uh, about three weeks ago, my oldest grandson, 12-year-old, um, stayed with us for the, for the weekend, and, and I shared my grandfather's story with him. I said, Colin, just remember, he's, he's accepted the Lord. He's in junior high. He's accepted the Lord. I said, just think about it. Jesus is living within you, and he's seeing what you do. Not only that, he gives you the power to overcome the temptation. Because I can tell you guys, going back to Ons back, there was times when, you know, I've been away from home for six months, the temptation to go and, you know, do the wrong thing was, was pretty tough, was pretty strong, but that power of the Holy Spirit living there within me that allowed me to be victorious over that temptation and has been for 55 years I've been married. So guys, what, what I'm asking you to, to do, what I'm asking you to think about, don't be the Ron Wilson of the third, first 30. Don't be the fan, don't be the pretender, don't be the fringe guy. Be excited about your relationship with God. He is there living. He is there giving you the power to do that. Do that. Step up and go out and meet with some guys. Take the time to do that. You'll be so blessed you can't believe it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Ron. All right, one of the things that Ron said is that he's a blessed man. Anyone here feel like you're a blessed man? 
Yeah, open up your book and go to page 16. Open up your book to page 16. And what it says is things I'm thankful for. What I want you to do before I begin, I want you to write down some things that you're thankful for. Ron mentioned some in his life. I want you to take some time right now, write down some things that you're thankful for. I'm going to be reminding you to continuously go back to this page through the weekend. And it's because I know that there's a lot of people with a lot of heavy things going on right now, I'm sure. Whether it's just busyness of life, maybe there's problems in the home, problems with relationships. But what happens is when problems come in your life, sometimes you get so stuck on those problems and they, they just get so big. It's like not being able to see the forest through the trees. Your focus is so much on your problems and the things going on in life that you see that and you forget about the Lord. You see that and you forget about the blessings, the many blessings that he puts in your life, the fact that you're breathing, the fact that you're here tonight, the fact that you get to just relax for a weekend and replenish yourself in the Lord. But you need to stop and you need to really think and always go back, continually go back and say, what am I thankful about? What, am I th- what has God done in my life? What have I seen? And just like Ron's saying, boy, those last 30 years, right? From that point of salvation or the point that I got serious about my faith, from the point I was no longer a pretender, but I actually started being an attender. And from that point on, I seen a change. And you got to remember those things. And that's what we're going to go over tonight in this session. So I'm going to read to you from the scriptures. If you want to open up, you can go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 1. And we're going to talk about salvation. Maybe later tonight, if you haven't put it on your list, that would be the one that you put on there. I'm thankful for my salvation. I'm thankful for that time that everything changed. I was no longer blind. I could see. I was not a people, but now I'm one of God's people right? I have a new position in Christ. I was dead, now I'm alive. I'm a new creation. And that goes on that list, hopefully. But right now, we're going to look at it. And again, this is going to be a refresher for a lot of you. As we go through this, you're going to say, yeah, I know this, but I'm going to ask you, put all that stuff aside and just listen. Is the Lord going to talk to you through this tonight? So let's read. Starting at verse 1, chapter 2 of Ephesians, it says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of the grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. A great passage, right? Great passage, might be familiar to you, but in your book it says the very first question underneath the heading, do you have a relationship with God? What does it mean to be saved? You were saved by God. Paul's talking to believers, and he points back to their former lives, and he says, but you were saved. By God's grace, you were saved. And what is he actually talking about when he says you're saved? What are you saved from? We can understand it if we see it on the news and we see someone in a fire, right? Right, Wes? You see someone in a building and someone runs off the street and they run in the house and they drag them and it might be the last minutes. Maybe they're just ready to get smoke inhalation and lose their life, but someone grabs them and pulls them out of the house and you say, I get it. They were saved. They were doomed. They were going to die, right? 
And we see that, or you see like a flash flood on the news. You've seen those many times, and there's someone sitting on the top of a car, and the water's just rushing by them, and the car starts taking off, and they can just slip off, but then there's these ropes, and these guys on the shore, and they throw the ropes out, and all of a sudden, they get to the rope, and they pull them in. And you say, I get it. They were saved, right? They were doomed. If there was no one else around, what would have happened to them? But they were saved. What were they saved from? They were saved from peril. Most certain death a lot of times. Because there was someone there that cared enough to reach out and do something about it. I say first, what we have to understand, if we want to know what it means that we're saved by God, we have to understand what he says here first. He says, you were already dead. That's a crazy thought, isn't it? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. It wasn't like you were just laying there and lifeless. You were walking around, but you were a walking dead person. You were dead to spiritual things. You didn't know there was a God to save you. You didn't know about salvation. You didn't know you needed to be saved. You were on that path that leads to destruction, walking through life, having no idea that you were going to at one point walk off a cliff. You were in the house that was burning and you didn't even see the smoke. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were separated. You were alienated from God when you were saved. Matthew 23 says this. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. They're walking around, and they got this spiritual look about them. They look like they're doing fine, but inside they're actually dead. What did Jesus mean? They were spiritually dead. They might have even talked a lot of religious jargon, right? Trying to bring people to their religious God, following all their religious rules, but really they were wrong. And they were actually dead. Paul says that you were following the course of the world. You were following this course that the world is after. Lost people follow at one point in your life, because he says we, just like all the rest, we were blinded, we were dead, and we're following, and just following the sheep like going off a cliff. cliff. That's where you were headed. First John says this, which I think is really interesting. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but this is actually a command that 1 John says. In 1 John, he says, do not love the world. Do not love is the command. And John's saying, do not love the world, 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. We were walking around by our own desires, the desires of the world, running around with the prince of the air, which is actually Satan. So you have to really understand, just like that person I talked about that's in a fiery building, you were on your way to peril. Total separation from the Lord forever. On your way destined to hell. Right? You were dead. You had no way of saving yourself. You didn't know there was a way to save, to get saved. You didn't know the reality of God or Christ or anything of the sort. And that's what it says in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he chose to make us alive with Christ. You see, it takes grace to be able to see God. That's what I want you to understand. It takes grace when you're in that time of being dead, when you're separated from the Lord, it takes grace that you might actually be able to come to him. 
He says in there, it's not by works. It's nothing that you did. You didn't deserve it. It's not that you worked your way to it. God chose to bestow grace on top of you so that you might be saved. So what does saved mean? Peril, separation from God. Hell is where you were headed. By grace, you've been saved from all of that. By grace, you've been saved from walking in the world, by following its passions. By grace, you've been shown the greatness of Christ. By grace, your eyes have been opened to truth, and now you can get excited about Jesus. But you know, man, so many times what we do is we get wrapped right up in the world again, don't we? How was your week? Was it busy? How was the last month? Has it been busy? You see, being saved is one of the greatest things, the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. Things in life are just temporary. Hard times in life, they come and go. It's like a roller coaster. We're up and we're down. Emotions, they fluctuate. They go all over the place. You've been saved. It's a gift from God. By grace, your eyes are open. By grace, you know where you're going. You know where you're headed. What does it mean to be saved? It means I have a whole new direction for my life. As Ron said, it changes the whole next 30 years. If God gives me another 30 years, if this is the reality that you come to tonight, what does it mean? It means I change everything. I'm not chasing the world anymore. I'm chasing Christ. All my thanksgiving is going towards him. So what's God's part in it? Well, it's everything. By grace, you've been saved. It's by God that you've been saved. It's for God that you've been saved. It's by his grace. He has the full part in allowing you to have faith. But what is our part? What is our part in it? Acts 2.38, if someone would like to turn there and read that for me. Acts 2.38, go ahead and read that out loud for everybody. So write that down. God's part is giving us grace. God's part is opening our eyes. God's part is allowing us to know his truth. Our part is repenting. Our part is being baptized. Someone else read Romans 10.9 for me. It's the other verse on your book, in your book. There's belief, right? It's executing that belief that the Lord lets you have. He opens your eyes to his truth, but then you have to start walking in it. You have to start living in it. And you see, that's where the problem comes in because we get this flesh and our flesh wants to keep over there in the world and we still have desires, but we have to have more of a desire for God than the simple pleasures of this world. That passage, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... Understand, if he's Lord of your life, that means he rules your life. Amen? Amen. That means he's king of your life. That means just like a king has a kingship where everybody's subject to the king, the Lord has kingship over your life. You fully subject your whole self to him, your will to him. Your desires go to him. Your desires turn into his desires. You understand that you're calling him Lord. You're giving them that authority over your life. That means you need to know him. That means you need to spend time with him. That means you need to study your Bible. You need to spend time in prayer, right? I hope that comes out of this weekend. I hope there's a lot of rich study. I hope there's a lot of rich prayer with each other. And I hope there's a lot of rich growth in your heart as well. What is God's purpose? Do me a favor. Scratch out those two verses for me and then write in this one, Ephesians 2, 7. 
Ephesians 2, 7 says this, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I love that passage. What is the purpose? It's to bring honor and glory to himself. You see, he shows us his grace, he changes us so that it might be seen in ages to come, his glorious kindness that he showed towards us, a people who were undeserving, that people would point and say, boy, look at their God. That God loved them so much that he'd actually shower grace, the God of the universe actually loved them so much that he showed his kindness, that he bestowed his grace on top of them, that they might be saved, that they might have salvation. And if that's not enough for you, look at verse 6 right before this. It says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're not only saved, but we're raised up with Christ. The tense of the verb in this one is already and not yet. It means spiritually it's already happened. We're already raised up with Christ. We're already seated with him. We're already in a new realm. We're no longer in the world, but we're with Christ. But one day we're going to have full glory and fully be with him. It's like such a beautiful picture of our relationship and where God brought you. He brought you out of the muck and the mire, running around in your own evil desires, going after your own passions, just a mess, headed for the cliff, going to go off, and he raises you and seats you with Christ. Gives you this grace so you can believe, so you can have faith, so you can be saved, so you can be sitting with Christ. The next point is this. With all that being said, have you lost your perspective? You know, I do a lot of counseling, and so many times in counseling, what happens is we lose our perspective. You know, God's supposed to be way up here. You read about him in the Bible, in the glory of God, men fall over like dead men. Angels cover themselves with their wings as they worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then we sit down here and we flippantly sometimes talk about it, or we take it like it's not even a big deal, right? Or sometimes we start putting our own opinion even with God. And I, say, I know the Bible says that, but you know, I just don't know if it's right. I just don't know if I want to follow that. And we start messing with where God is supposed to be, and we're taking him off the throne, if you will, or lowering him and raising ourselves, our standards, our thoughts, and our wants. And my question in this, have you lost your perspective? When's the last time you really concentrated on the holiness of God? The creator of everything. I was flipping around on Google and I was looking, I don't know if you've ever looked at those videos, but those videos that show the earth and then they show the earth in comparison to other planets. You guys ever look at those? And when it goes to the earth and the sun, it's like we're this little planet next to the sun, but then it gets to these ridiculous other stars. Have you seen them? And these other stars just dwarf the sun. All of a sudden, they pull this other star up, and the star's like here, and the sun's way down here when we were this to the sun. And then they pull up another one, and that star dwarfs to the, to the new star. And a third time, and it dwarfs again. In my mind, it's just blown away because it's like we're on this little tiny planet. This little tiny planet floating in space in one galaxy out of millions or whatever number there are. And we're on a ball and we're spinning and spinning on this ball, but yet we don't fly off. Not only are we spinning on our axis, but we're also spinning around the sun, right? And we're not too close. We're not too far away. It doesn't move to where we burn up or we freeze and it just continues on and we have air to breathe. And here we are floating amongst the space. And God created all of that. And there's so much that we can't see out there. And then my mind wants to go like shooting an arrow. You ever think about that? Like shooting an arrow in the sky? Like if you could shoot an arrow and it would never stop, but it would have to stop, right? Wouldn't it? But where would it stop? Does it like stick on a wall? But then what's on the other side of the wall? And people say, oh, it's infinity, right? It's this time warp and it goes around. I always say, then what's on the other side of the time warp? It's like my mind can't comprehend the great vastness of our creator. And I mean, that's only what my little mind can talk about. But God's even so much bigger than that. 
And it's like, have you taken him off of his rightful throne? Have you just stopped to think of how glorious and big God really is? What I did in your books is at the beginning, I did a few pages. And it's just a a self-reflection on your own, and it talks about the attributes of God. It helps you to get a full picture of who God is as the Bible explains him. So it'll have verses in there, and you can kind of go through it, and it'll help you get a better perspective or maybe bring back the perspective of God and all his attributes, like he's everywhere all the time. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, right? All strength. I mean, he's an amazing God. He's full love. And his love doesn't start and stop. He's actually fully loving. He is love. When he's explained in the Bible, it's not, well, he has some love and some truth. He's fully love, fully truth, fully righteous. It's all the attributes are perfectly made in him. And they all work together perfectly. So if you think about who God is, then what did it cost for your salvation? What was the cost? Romans 5.8. Someone has to have that memorized. What does Romans 5.8 say? Amen. Christ died on the cross. God came down, took on the form of man, walked on this earth, would be rejected, would be ridiculed, falsely accused. The God of the universe walked on this earth knowing he was going to go to the cross. So that amazing God that's out there, that's keeping everything going, came down to walk on this earth to leave an example for us men because he did say, follow me, right? That God left his rightful place to come down and mind you, to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. You see, have you, have you lost your perspective? That's what Christ did. Knowingly, knowingly, willingly, that was his plan. So what's the goal of our salvation, man? Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, man, it's going to be my argument this weekend that every single person in this room has a place to serve. God didn't make a mistake if he saved you. If you're saved by the wonderful, mighty creator that knows everything, knows the beginning from the end. He even knows the days that are ordained for you. He knows the words before they come out of your mouth. In Psalm 139, it talks about that. If this God allowed you salvation, if he called you into his family, there's a purpose for your life. There's good works that are laid before you. There's good works that he has for you. There's gifts that he's given you. We're gonna talk about those over the weekend spiritual gifts that he's given you. There's people that he places in your life. I used to have this professor, and I'd love it, because we'd leave, before we'd leave the class, he'd say, men, I'm gonna pray for divine appointments for each one of you. That your eyes would be open to see them. Men, we have to have eyes that are open to say, Lord, what do you have for me today? What is the work that you want me to do? Who are the people you want me to minister to? Lord, what is the work that you have for me? Because I want to be faithful, because I'm, I'm remembering what you've done for me. And my heart's overflowing with thanksgiving. Just overflowing with thanksgiving. Romans 8, 29, if someone would read that. 
for me, please. You might want to, if you get your Bible open, underline that, to be conformed to the image of his son. That's a goal of a Christian. Our goal is to become more and more like Christ. You were saved so you'd be conformed into the image of Christ. Christ came so he could leave us an example of what it means to be like him. He didn't just say, follow me and then leave us nothing. He said, follow me, and he gave us an example He even said, hey, they hated me. They're going to hate you, didn't he? There was an example, and it wasn't always pretty. In fact, it was hard. It wasn't an easy call, but it's a call put on your life, and you have to remember that. There's work to be done, and men, we got to become more and more like Christ. We're striving to be more and more like him, our Savior, our Lord. Amen? Which brings us to the next point. It's no longer about you. It's no longer about me. Like I said, I really honestly hope that at the end of this whole thing, the only thing that's resonating in your mind is like, what I got out of God's word, how the Holy Spirit worked inside of me. It's just like, gosh, God was talking to me. It's no longer about you. It's no longer about you. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Think about the power in that statement. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul understood that living like Christ was going to be difficult, that it was going to be a lot of trials, that there's a lot of, a lot of hardships that go with that, that it's not easy. And he says, to die would be easier than to live like that. But then he says, but I know it's for your betterment that I stay, so I'm choosing to stay. Why? Because he knew there was good works laid out before him for him to do. He knew there was work to be done. He knew that God placed a call on his life. He had faith that God knew what he was doing, so he was going to walk faithfully in that. So he chose to stay. The last point, man. Have you lost your awe? With all of these things I'm talking about, is anything resonating in your heart? Have you lost your awe? A while back, I uh, went on a sabbatical. And a sabbatical is just a time away. When you're in ministry, you get to go away at times. Um, just to refresh yourself, kind of like this retreat, same exact idea. It comes from the Old Testament. They would take their crops and they'd work them for six years and on the seventh year they'd rest and they wouldn't do anything with the crops. They'd let them rest for a year. And that's where the whole idea of a sabbatical came from. But now we use it with pastors and they, they take a time for spiritual refreshment to evaluate, to spend time with the Lord. It's like the Sabbath, right? That seventh day. And when I was away on my sabbatical, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, a lot of stresses that I was really trying to work through, a, a lot of pressures. And it was ironic because there was a passage that was preached from uh, Revelation. I'm going to read it, just the part that was preached. But it was Revelation chapter 2. And Jesus, if you remember Revelation, he, he talks to the churches. He goes to the churches and he tells them what they're doing right, but then he tells them what they're doing wrong. And in the church of Ephesus, this is what he had to say. Revelation 2, verse 4. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen and repent. He says, you have lost your first love. Preached three times, three different churches. You have lost your first love. My wife and I were sitting there and thinking, man, the Lord's really trying to talk to us, you think? I mean, three times we're hearing the same message. What's going on? 
And we sat there and we just worked with it and, and started thinking, and it was true. We, we were getting so busy with ministry. We were getting so busy with our own plans. We were getting so busy with the people we're doing ministry with and focused on so many different things, and we were getting our focus off of Christ. We were getting so busy with thinking that we were like in control of things and could take care of things and maneuver things and make things worth, and we were actually taking our eyes off of Christ. And the kingdom we're building is really a kingdom of people because all of the things that we're doing is just having to do with our own strength. So we're making all these plans, we're making all these efforts, but it's really doing nothing but pointing people to the people who are involved. You get it? You lost your first love. Remember where you came from and repent. Gentlemen, if you lost your awe, if you lost that passion, you need to just spend some time repenting. We talked about how glorious salvation is. We talked about how good the Lord is. I mean, there is no other. That is true joy. You will never find joy like the joy that comes from the Lord on the earth. You understand that, right? So we need to have that awe. Why? What does it say? It says, would you follow someone who lacks passion? Would you follow someone that says, follow me, I got a good thing, everything's great, but then they just kind of drag themselves? Is that the kind of person you're attracted to? To follow, to hang around with, to want what they have? Can you say, follow me as I follow Christ, the next point in your book? Gordy just preached on this. Follow me as I follow Christ. Do you have enough passion, enough awe? Do you have enough love for him? If you lost your awe, what is it going to take to get it back? What will it take? How can we get our awe back, man? How can we fan into flame the passion that's inside of us. How can we get so excited about our faith? What do we do? Tell me. What do we do? Get back in the word. Get back in the word. Right? Pray. Pray. What else? Repent. Repent. What else? Write these down. What else? Bingo. Bingo. Get into the word. Pray, repent, confess the sin. If you're hanging on to the things of the world, confess it. Get rid of it. Fellowship with other believers. If you don't have that relationship with another man, make it here. Allow me or one of the other men to help you make it. Fellowshipping with other believers, talking about your shortcomings, being real. Man, we're just men. We're just men. Every single one of us in this room. Created in the image of God, but we're just men. We're working our way through this life. Not one in this room is perfect. I hate to break it to you. If you thought you were that guy, you're not. You're just not. None of us are. We're all a work in progress. Praise the Lord. So I don't have to worry about it now, right? Because if I sit down and talk to you, I know you're not perfect. You know I'm not perfect. We're just working it out. Let's help each other work it out. Amen. I mean, that's what church is. We're going to talk about that. That's what church is all about. So this weekend, we got to get the passion back. we got to work on this together. you got to get in your room. you got to spend time with the Lord. you got to pray. Let it out. The Lord's talking to you. Don't come up with any excuses. Don't come up with any excuses. Don't reason it away. Just say, okay, Lord, I'm listening. Lord, I'm not spending enough time with you. Lord, I need that awe back. I'm not passionate about my walk. Some people haven't been passionate about their walk for a very long time. You understand that? We need to get it back. My last point, and I close here. Salvation changes us. You're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. There's a plan laid out before you. I mean, honestly, I can look at every single person in this room and say, if you're a believer, if you're saved, God has a plan for your life. Be excited about that. Things have changed. 
there is a purpose. We're together tonight. There is a purpose in us being together tonight. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Man, I'm going to pray, and you're going to go back to your groups. You're going to take your books with you. I hope you put a mark next to something you want to work on. If you didn't, go ahead and mark it now. Put a check mark by it, a circle around it, highlight it, whatever you have to do, but something you want to work on. And bring that back and open up with the guys. And let me pray for you, please. Father God, thank you so much for your grace because it's by your grace we've been saved. Lord, there's nothing that we can do to deserve it on our own. There's no amount of works. There's no plan. There's no, there's nothing, Lord. So God, thank you. Lord, forgive us for areas of our life that we get careless. Forgive us for areas of our life where we still hang on to the things of the world. The system of the world, Lord, help us to cling tightly to Jesus. Help us to cling tightly to the gospel. Help us to just be renewed in our faith. Bring about a passion inside each one of these men in this room, myself included. God, we want to be on fire for you. We want to know what that plan is for our life. We want to walk obediently in it. We want to walk in a way that would bring honor and glory to your name. We want to echo with Paul when he says, whatever we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we do, we do it for your glory, God. Let us be those men. Allow us to be open enough to sharpen one another. Allow us to be transparent with one another. Allow us to remember, Lord, we are just works in progress. Lord, have your way with us this weekend, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.